When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. People I speak to sometimes love Jesus, or at least they love his teaching, to be more precise. They, to be more precise, even, they love some bits of his teaching, not all of it. I don't know if you've got friends or family like this, maybe this is you, people you've rubbed shoulders with down the years. They think he's an amazing ideas man. He's able to teach complex truths to the masses, brilliant illustrations and parables, and what a fantastic communicator, someone to be admired. He can hold a crowd for hours. And They love his ethics. They love his teaching on how we treat one another. They particularly love the Sermon on the Mount. He's a teacher to be admired. He's a religious guru to be studied. We can learn great things from him. We can glean stuff from him. And yet that's about it. The other claims that he makes, these claims of Jesus of kind of being God and that kind of awkward stuff, the claim to be able to forgive sin, the claim that he can heal, the claim to do powers and miracles, and they're not quite sure what to think of that doesn't quite work in their framework, their world view, and so everyone gets a bit twitchy. That's getting a bit too serious, they say, a bit too extreme. But our passage for this evening, these last four verses in this little series we've been doing these last few weeks, just put that idea to bed slightly. The idea that you can legitimately divorce his, his authority in teaching from his authority in miracles, for example, doesn't really work. The story so far in Matthew is that he has been painting carefully for us a detailed picture of this Jesus, his king, whom the Lord has sent. And in the last few weeks, you've been around, um, just turn back a page, we've, we've been in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, finishing this series that we've been doing over the, kind of the last few years almost, bit by bit by bit, working our way through. And then the very one, last one from last week with Andy gave us this very stark decision Either, he said, you've got this sort of external spirituality like the Pharisees who seek to earn a relationship with God, to impress others, to impress God even. But finally that's building on sand, he says, so when final judgment comes you're left with nothing. Or you can do a sort of Jesus type spirituality about inner transformation, about grace, about poverty of spirit, about pure in heart. Not to try and impress other people or impress God, but actually to know he is your father in heaven and he loves you. So right the way through the sermon you get these kind of two very stark ways of looking at things. One is an external, pharisaical, judgmental spirituality. And then the other is internal, full of grace, knowing God as our father who loves us. Owning our sin and our brokenness and our helplessness and turning to Jesus as the only one who can forgive us and help us. And so then Jesus finishes the sermon, comes down from the mountain. You've got the crowds following him in verse 1. And I guess there are all kinds of questions going on, like, is he really the one we've been waiting for? We've just heard this sermon, it's absolute dynamite. We don't know where such authority comes from, 7 verse 28 and 29. There's this buzz surrounding him. 
But does he really have the kind of authority that he claims he does to, to make these kind of um, judgments? To say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, does he really have that kind of authority? To teach on what God really wants for us, what the kingdom really looks like. Does Jesus really able to do that? Does this authority in his teaching translate into authority in life as well? To put it bluntly, he can talk the talk, but can he walk the walk? Does it work? And so Matthew shows us that he can. He shows us that there is no discontinuity between his authority to teach and explain God's law, explain the kingdom, and to live it out. And so what he does is he gives us ten, if you flick through eight, nine, ten, he gives us these ten miraculous healings. And the first three, particularly, are, are especially unlikely healings. There's, there's the leper, first of all, he's our character for today, he's as far as we'll go this time with this series. Then you get um, a woman, and you get a Gentile, they come next, very different people. But what unites them is that they are those who would have been excluded from the temple, excluded from the people, looked down upon and despised in many ways. And yet Jesus includes them and shows them compassion and reaches out to them. And if you like, these last few weeks with Andy we've seen how not to come to God how not to build, how not to live. There are two gates and two prophets and two disciples and two types of builder these last few weeks. Both types seeking in a way to be right with God, but only one actually succeeding. This week we get this visual representation showing us how to be right with God. 8 verse 1 to 4 show us what it means to, to pour yourself out upon Jesus and his compassion and his mercy. Here is that lived out. Here is how to be the, enter the narrow gate, how to be a true prophet, how to be a true disciple, how to build on Jesus and his teaching, how to be known by God and to know him. And what we'll do as we work our way through just these four verses is we'll consider three aspects of the problem. We'll think firstly about what the horrible problem that leprosy was. Then we'll think about the faith of the leper and thirdly then the compassion of Jesus. Okay, so if you're a kind of note-taking type, it's the horrible problem, the faith of the leper and then the compassion of Jesus. Firstly, the horrible problem. The word leprosy, if you've got our uh, Bibles um, that we use in church, verse 2, the leprosy word has got a little footnote. Um, and as you'll see there, the, the, it's an umbrella term to describe a whole host of different painful diseases, skin diseases, infectious diseases. And sadly, the only way to really deal with leprosy was by quarantine. It was by taking a person and removing them from the community, from the city, to stop the spread. Um, we've got a, a poorly Abigail at home at the moment. Um, I wouldn't say she's in quarantine, but she is being removed from the other children so as to try and stop this spread of high fever and sickness or whatever quite is going on. You, you literally, you, you stop people from entering their presence and therefore it stops and isn't spread. Well, so, um, that was the same with lepers. In Leviticus 13, verse 46, you read that lepers were to live outside the town. They were taken and they were removed. In part because they were unclean, but also because um, you didn't want to spread to other people. You can picture the consultation um, in a doctor's surgery, can't you? Imagine you're the leper and you go and visit your doctor. And the doctor says, I'm really sorry, sir, it's a pretty bad outlook. I'm afraid you have leprosy. Okay, w w what does that actually mean? You ask the doctor. 
Well, says the doctor, as it stands, there is no treatment, there's nothing I can prescribe, there's nothing at all that we can do. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave your home immediately and you're going to have to go and live outside the city walls in, in the leper colony. And you say, well, h- how long for? Uh, until you get better, says the doctor. But you said there's no cure, Mr. Doctor. See, yeah, exactly. So in one sense, it's really game over. In any meaningful sense of the word, to be a leper was to be dead. To be healed was to be raised from the dead. It's much more than just a horrible, infectious, painful skin disease. The leper wasn't just physically broken and separate from the people outside the city, he was spiritually broken. And so in Leviticus 14 and Numbers 12, you you read what it meant to be a leper and you see, actually it means to be under God's curse. You weren't just excluded from other people. You were unclean before God, excluded from him, removed from the temple, unable to enter the temple, and so you were dead. Let me give you another example. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively well-known story in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 5, and you read of an important soldier, a commander called Naaman. He's a guy with leprosy. And so he goes to the king of Israel to ask to be cured, and the king says to him, striking, the king says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? You see, in the king's mind, the cure of leprosy is to bring someone back to life again. That is God's territory. That is not the kind of thing that man can do. That is part of God's job description. And so being a leper was as good as being dead. And that's, although that's true, it doesn't see, actually remove all hope from you, it seems. At least it hadn't for our leper here. He's not given a name. But you see something of his faith, not just the horrible situation, but something of his faith. We're not told how he came to hear about Jesus. Maybe you think the, the grapevine in the colony, the leper colony, maybe, have you heard what he's doing? Have you heard about this guy Jesus? It seems like there's nothing he can't get rid of. He's got this authority, not just to speak, but authority to drive out demons and to deal with sickness and and brokenness and sin. And if only we could get close to him, but we can't get out of the colony. We're not allowed. But but he does turn up. I take it he really shouldn't have been there. But just look at what he thinks of Jesus. Look at verse 2. And it's very striking. You see something, I think, of what he thinks of Jesus by the language that he uses. He says, Lord... He came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see, he kneels, there's something of a humility, a meekness. He's not seeing Jesus on his terms, but no, he knows who's in charge. He gets something, perhaps, of who Jesus is. And it's not a, it's not a perhaps you can make me clean if you are willing. He doesn't doubt Jesus' authority in one sense. Or his healing powers. He, he just asks whether he's willing. He knows he's able. But Jesus, will you do this? Are you willing to heal? And then actually it's not. It's not, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. Or you can make me well. It's actually, you can make me... See the word? You can make me clean. And I think that's striking because it puts the discussion on a completely different level now. It means that we should listen in even more carefully to what's going on because in a real sense, standing before a perfectly holy God, we are, we are spiritual lepers. 
We are unclean. We are cut off from God. We are put outside the camp, naturally. We are separate. We cannot approach him. Because of our sin, in one sense, we stand with the leper, excluded from God. Now, we don't often feel like that, because we're all in the same boat. We're all cut off together. We're all separated from God. We're all outside the city, in one sense. The whole community, each of us, separated from God. The things we do or say or think, the the attitudes and priorities, I mean, we always have to go first rather than the God who made us. It means that we're cut off. It means that we are sinful. The stuff that we'd be so ashamed of if others found out. It's the kind of things we've been wrestling with in our morning series in Joshua when we see something of the starkness of God's goodness and his holiness and his might and his majesty and the reality of the sin of our hearts and the sin of his people. And you know, that's why, just like the leper, we need cleansing. We need to go to Jesus. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't deal with the situation. Just like the leper, we can't do it ourselves. We need Jesus to come and do that for us. And so verse 2, when he asks that question, suddenly you see it's a really relevant one for us. The stakes are raised because we see that we stand in his shoes too. And we're listening in, can Jesus do it? Can Jesus make him clean? I wonder, do you see the the contrast with the Pharisees of of last week and right through the Sermon on the Mount? That they think, they thought we said, that they're actually okay, thank you very much. You get this thread working right through the Sermon of a people being contrasted with Jesus' kingdom people, a people who think they're okay, people who think by their external law-keeping, by being extra good, by standing on street corners and praying so everyone can see, by making sure everyone knows that I'm fasting, by making sure everyone sees how much I give, then in a sense we can kind of sort our own mess out. We're actually okay with God. And yet what Jesus has said week by week by week is we can't. Because it begins with poverty of spirit. Because we are unclean. Because we mourn over sin. And the leper knows he can't sort out his own uncleanness. And he says to us, we can't sort out our own uncleanness. We need to go to Jesus. And look at what he does now, it's lovely. He shows us both his extraordinary power, but his beautiful compassion of Jesus as well. And I love this. Jesus reaches out his hands, And he touches a man who wouldn't have been touched for years. Not at least not by someone without leprosy. And he simply touches him. And you know, you can read through Matthew and elsewhere, Jesus will just speak a word. And someone will be healed, cleansed. But he reaches out his hand and he touches him and he loves him. I take it he is overwhelmingly compassionate at this point. I wonder, is that the Jesus that you know? The compassionate Jesus who who loves unclean people like us. He is the one whom we serve today. 
I hope this is the Jesus that you know, the one who has reached into your life, dealt with your uncleanness. Maybe you bring with you a past that you are deeply ashamed of, and yet you experience the compassion of Jesus to deal with your uncleanness, to make you clean. And he reaches into our lives. And he makes us whole again. He makes us able to be in relationship with the God who made us again. I think as well, I don't think he's taking it too far, I think he gives us a glimpse or, or just a shape maybe of how we're to deal with other people too. I think it's the primary thing going on, but I think there's something there. You see how unarmed length Jesus is, if that makes sense. He loves this man amazingly. That's a real challenge to me because it's so easy to put up barriers from people around us. Maybe even barriers between ourselves and the world, if you like. Maybe especially if we think things, the world is increasingly anti-Jesus. But isn't it striking how he just reaches into this man's life and brings him this cleansing that he needs? This really is the light being not hidden under a basket. This really is the light of a city being on a hill, seen by all looking in. I wonder whether that's just an important thing for us to consider as we think through both as individuals and as a church, what it means to have compassion on those around us. Not battening down the proverbial hatches as it gets perhaps harder to be a Christian, but actually to open the doors and to reach out as Jesus does into people's lives. And so he loves and he serves and he cleanses. Maybe it's a call for us to, I don't know, get to know those in our lives whom we wouldn't normally speak to. The kind of people we rub shoulders with day by day, week by week. The neighbours, the colleagues, whoever it might be, whom we just kind of slightly keep away from. But actually Jesus reaches into his life and brings this cleansing. It's challenging stuff. A question we probably need to deal with which may have occurred to you, um, is has Jesus just flouted Old Testament law as he's done this? Is that your question? I thought it might be. He, He didn't have to touch him, did he? But he did, and he risks not only being made unclean himself, but also contracting the disease. Has he just flouted Old Testament law? He could have just spoken the word, but he touches him. Imagine going to the hospital. Imagine going to visit friends. Or imagine going yourself. Um, could with an appointment. And the one thing they're really keen on, at least I thought John Radcliffe, is for the alcohol gel stuff. You know, you press it and you squish it in and then you go through the door. And probably the door's quite dirty, so you get dirty anyway. But you're supposed to clean your hands before the patient, during your visit, and after the visit. That is how you are made clean. That is how you're kept clean. But... Why? Because it's easier for the bugs to spread, the quarantine stuff we spoke of earlier. It's easy to go into a hospital as a well person and to come out as a sick person, actually. Diseases can spread. It doesn't work the other way around, as far as I'm aware. You don't go in and the sick person catches your good health, sadly. 
If that were possible, we could kind of sort some sort of rotor up at the John Radcliffe and just go in and shake people's hands and make them better. That doesn't work. And so I think this could only be Jesus in 8 verse 1 to 4. Had we been there for each and every one of us, had we touched the leper, we would have been declared unclean by the law of God. And we wouldn't have been able to cleanse the leper either. But because Jesus reaches out and touches the man. And the holy God makes this guy clean. Makes him whole again. Brings him life again. In the Greek it's just two very simple, very powerful words. First, he shows he's willing. Second, he makes him clean. And then immediately he's cleansed of his leprosy. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't say, yep, God is willing. Jesus says, I am willing. I take it if you were there to be able to watch the ministry of Jesus firsthand, you'd be asking all kinds of questions as to where he fits in with the whole plan of things. You'd look back in the Sermon on the Mount and you're thinking, well look, he's authoritatively interpreting and speaking about God's law. He's claiming he's going to be the judge of the whole world with the day of judgment. It sounds blasphemous, it sounds offensive, it's the kind of thing that people might want to kill him for. And here we have Jesus again, putting himself on a par with God. Not just in his claims to, that he's making in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's backing those claims up with authority to make people unbroken again. Here is God in the flesh. Immediately, he was cleansed of leprosy. It's interesting as well. If you remember, if you go back to the sermon, Jesus says he hadn't come to, full, to abolish the law and the prophets, but he had come to fulfil them. Well, so that's telling here, because now this clean man, what does he do with him? He sends him off to the priest. Verse 4, go and show yourself to the priest to offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You can see the history of this in the Old Testament again. The Moses has outlined this ex-leper must go to the temple with a shopping list of two clean birds, some cedarwood, some hyssop, some scarlet yarn, and there in Leviticus 14, the priest can confirm whether he's clean or not, whether he's been cured, whether he can be received back into the community again. Can you come from the colony and back into the community? Can you feel the excitement of this man? Put yourself in his shoes. He, he's there banging on the door for the priest. He's collected all his stuff he needs. He's got his clean birds and his cedarwood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. He's got an appointment with the priest. He's banging on the door. Let me in, let me in, let me in. And the priest heads out with him outside the city gates to do an examination. Excitement of the man, tension of the priest. Put yourself in his shoes. Goodness me, I hope he's right. What if this ex-leper has got it wrong? What if it's still under his cloak and it's all infected? And... But he goes and examines him to see whether the disease has gone. And it has. And I'm pleased to tell you, Mr. Leper, that you are in fact now an ex-leper. You are cured. You can leave the colony. You can go back and live with your family now. You can see your kids again. You can go back into the temple. You can be a part of the people of God again. You are restored socially, emotionally, religiously, spiritually. You can live again. And so I hope you see just in these four verses. But it's more than just another healing miracle from Jesus. This is the gospel in miniature. This is Jesus' authority to make essentially dead people alive again. 
Because we are lepers, spiritually, before God. Naturally, we are unclean. We are separated from him. We are outside of the city. We are removed from God's presence. But we look to Jesus, and he has compassion. We look to the one who hung on a cross outside the city walls, and who died to make his people clean again forever. And you know, it's that Jesus that we're talking about this evening. He's so much more than a teacher to be admired or a religious guru to be studied, just to believe that about him and think he's just a good speaker. Misses what he's really all about. He is God's king. But it's more than that. He is God in the flesh who can deal with your sin and your brokenness. He is the God who has compassion on us to make us clean again. It makes it possible for us to be included and to be welcomed again. And if he is the one who begins to shape how we deal with other people as well, the compassion he has for the broken, the unclean, the sinful, the dead, the compassion he has is something I think of a compassion that we need to have for those who don't know him. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for thank you for this extraordinary encounter with this leper. As Jesus finishes speaking with authority and then shows us the authority that he has to make dead people alive again, to bring a cleansing upon those who are unclean. Thank you for his extraordinary compassion as he reaches into this guy's life and he makes him well. Lord, we pray that we might be a people who have that same kind of compassion on broken people in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.